Welcome to Seeds of Awakening. Your favorite podcast. <laughs> With Kimberly Jacobson. <laughs> and Forrest Dwyer. And again, we're so excited you're listening. More excited than you are. Is that good? <laughs> Is that good or bad? <laughs> anyway, we're also excited because we've got Grace Stroll on the podcast. Grace is a dear friend, an amazing teacher. Um, when we left this podcast, I think both of our jaws were on the floor because she's the kind of person you could just talk to for hours and ask questions about anatomy, about the chakras, about your heart. Um, and as you'll learn very quickly, she's got a poetic way to explain it. And I've never heard anybody take anatomy in this way and, and drive it home where you like feel it physically in your body and it just lands in different ways. So such a treat and an honor to be able to share her with you guys. Yeah, she she speaks about things in a way that you leave feeling so inspired to get to know your body mm. in a way that I've, I've never felt with <laughs> any other <laughs> human being. <laughs> But needless to say, she's she's absolutely incredible, and you're going to love this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Are you jealous? Kim has a girl crush. Are you you jealous? I'm semi-worried about. (laughs) So good luck not falling in love with Grace Joel. And thanks to our friend Malachi for the use of his single, The The Woods. Woods. revolutionized the way I looked at anatomy because I think it can be at least thought of as very boring and like I thought of it as a very boring thing I don't mean to insult you no no this podcast <laughs> not the first yeah exactly <laughs> we found one of the most boring guests imaginable <laughs> that's what we were hoping for but you did the opposite you kind of brought this I think a a personal connection to it mm-hmm. where it's like oh anatomy is my body and then also an aliveness to it. And even this morning, you were referencing it to mountains and rivers and lakes. And I wanted to start the conversation there of, of just how you think in, in your philosophy of anatomy and you know, like why you bring it that way to people. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. So I was sharing that I grew up in Western Canada in the Canadian Rockies. And so, you know, my dad totally knew, you know, hike five days in and there's a lake and there's a pass. And I think that sensibility of being in a wild environment really helped me develop that same sensibility on the inside of the Mm -hmm. body where I see a lot of the muscles and bones like mountains and river valleys and the nerves these pathways, you know, like the animals traveling mm-hmm. through different mm-hmm. pathways, there's kind of energy and consciousness moving that Western science doesn't necessarily focus on or talk about. So that I think was sort of a way I could learn how to see and think about anatomy. Mm-hmm. And then a huge gift was I taught anatomy for a massage school. And so they would learn, for instance, like the bones and muscles of the upper arms and it would be very um, technical of how do you massage this area. And then I'd lead a yoga class right afterwards. So again, when they had the lived experience of me giving the names, but it was in motion and they were in the experience of it and getting present to all the layers of tension or suppressed expression of joy or pleasure, you know, both, both are suppressed anger or fear, as well as, like I some of, say, some of the enjoyable um, emotions can be held in the body and in the tissues it was powerful for me as I was encountering the bones and muscles to really get there's a mind inside of every muscle and in the west we tend to just treat it like meat you know it's this lever (laughs) and it just sort of maneuvers the head around you know our brain is the central command and the body is just just there to sort of transport and feed it you know I'm being a little facetious but there is a way in the narrative of anatomy or even physical therapy where it can tend to be very mechanistic but I'm really clear that 
you know, it's not just meat, that the, the mind that lives in the legs, what the legs have been driven by, the impulses they've expressed or suppressed are totally different than the arms. And so when I teach anatomy, it really is less about the Latin words because the the body doesn't have Latin words stuck inside of it, you know, that we made up. It's its own natural wild environment like the Rockies. It's mm -hmm. just its own inherent organic cosmology in a way. So if people are learning it without the pressure of names, but just in the experience of embodiment and that this is their home, you know, it's where they've lived their whole life and they may never have actually had a guide to take them inside and understand. Once that happens, it seems people just really light up and come alive in a different way. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> um, no, and I did, and I think that's the coolest way to teach it is you start to really feel it in your body, which is instead of being told a name. But you, and we're probably going to dive into this more, but you talk about each muscle having a mind. Yeah. Or there being energy stored in the tissues or emotions stored in the tissues. Mm -hmm. How do you see that happening or how do you see it released? Yeah. So a lot of it really came from more massage therapy that when I had my hands on people, it was incredible to just feel the differences in male and female bodies or large bodies or tiny bodies or very thick bodies or very um, lean bodies, like all these different ways that uh, under my hands, I could feel a kind of conversation that I was starting to have with the tissues themselves. And massage is interesting because often it's silent, so it's really just in the moment. Does the muscle melt and let go or not? Mm -hmm. But I'd often dialogue with people afterwards, and especially in the arc of a massage school, where we'd be training them for like 500 hours mm -hmm. and really know their story, and they would share about it in their learning. That's where I really sort of got a deeper appreciation of the, you know, young guy from the Midwest who's a farmer or the doctor who's been, you know, physically active as a surgeon. Like these different students would really live their body in a different way. And as they made their own connections and shared about it, that, that sort of came alive for me. So some of it was my own experience and insight, but a lot of it was the privilege of being with people training as a professional where they could share and sort of disclose parts that if it was just massage clients I might not ever know I might know a little glimpse of it but mm -hmm. but it was mostly a silent conversation so I just started to look at how people were taught anatomy because a lot of people were just like oh god this is the part of the training that's going to be boring or yeah. difficult or there'll be tests and I'll fail and <laughs> you know, I'll be a bad person. And it's like, how could this be possible? <laughs> yeah, I'll be, how is it possible? Because this is your body. Like, you can't not know this. It's you, you know. So how can I change this around so people um, are in love with their body and alive and interested in relationship? You know, I'll sometimes joke, like, your body's been, you know, hauling you around your whole life and you haven't even bothered to get to know the name of the muscle that's doing that, you know, it's kind of rude, you know, so I'll joke <laughs> that it's sort of a courtesy, at least if you're especially into yoga or something where um, you're moving around asking the body to do all these things to actually get what the muscle's made for and how it moves, whether or not you know the name, that the sense of the spatial layering and stuff. And um, so that's kind of what inspired me. And then I, you know, I took it further because um, I found whether it's massage therapy or this emerging field of yoga therapy that even if you study a lot of anatomy, you may not actually know the spatial relationship in the body of where's the depth and what's sitting beside what. And if you learn all the blood supply, you may have heard the jugular vein, but then you may not know the vagus nerve, which is a rock star in the whole... Um, world of organs mm -hmm. is traveling right beside the the jugular at some point you know so you may know those and have learned them as these separate categories but for me as someone who's massaging or helping people to move their body in yoga postures or breathing knowing that spatial relationship really matters so I kind of took it one step further and you know in the western anatomy it's all these silos of like circulatory or nervous or digestive I said 
you know, the, the nerves of the neck are not actually talking to the nerves in the legs nearly as much as they're talking to the other muscles and glands in their own neighborhood. So if I see it as a community of consciousness, how can I look at each chakra or region, each visceral cavity, which is an enclosed space that contains a certain group or community of structures, how can I see they're relating to each other? Mm-hmm. So I went on to film this whole online anatomy course that's like a meditation to begin with. You know, the students start by meditating on the throat area and just contemplating from the first breath they took or crying out as an infant or latching on to getting braces or, you know, (laughs) kissing or food you've eaten or singing or the fear of public speaking, like all this that's actually living in the tissues. And then we go into just some introductory um, bones, muscles, nerves, glands, circulatory, a bit about embryology, which is from conception to eight weeks. So many of those early formations of Mm. how the body gets organized echo some of the really esoteric teachings in yoga. So I thought that was really interesting too, that I'd hear of certain secret passageways or phenomena that could happen. And when I started to study embryology, I was like, oh, this this seems to be an echo of what what seems invisible, but it has a origin or a pathway that can be found in our like evolution. What? <laughs> like what? Like, um, okay, there's a really cool example, and I'm just gonna clear my throat for a moment. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so there's one, a really exciting example, for instance, is I remember, you know, I lived at this yoga ashram, you know, 20 years in this yoga community, hearing about like, okay, it's possible that out of, out of the very back roof of your mouth, this elixir that's ecstatic called Amrita is possible to, you know, drip down the back of the throat and, and you'll be ecstatic. And I'm like, well, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> and I haven't had that experience, but... Um, like some yogis, for instance, will actually sort of, you know how the base of your tongue, it attaches to the bottom of the mouth. So they'll like cut that or stretch it to be able to stick their tongue like to the very back of their throat and up there and like try and have this experience. So I'm not suggesting <laughs> for the listeners at home that you uh, try this, but, um, but I was interested. So when I started to learn about um the pituitary gland, which is a really important gland in the body, it produces so many raw materials and it's just uh, interesting. It actually sits in what they call the Turkish throne. So it's like really seen as this uh, royalty in a way in the consciousness that carries us. The Salaturcica is the name of it, the Turkish throne. So I'm like, that's an interesting gland. It gets a throne. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But as I learned about it embryologically, it's wild that actually... Um, the formation of that gland comes from two layers. It comes from the inside of the brain, but it also comes from the roof of the mouth. Hmm. And part of, in the super early origins of the body forming, part of that exterior of the body, the roof of the mouth, kind of creates a little pouch and pinches off and then goes and wraps around what's inside the brain. So it's actually this like outside and inside forming and, you know, heaven and earth and you know the the interior world of consciousness and the outside of expression all these things so you know no one can prove that if you breathe or poke it or something it'll uh, produce this amrita but to me it felt like that migration is really rare in the body and significant and it reminded me of this thing that I'd heard about sort of esoterically so it's an example that, you know, for most people in their day-to-day life, they may not be hunting down that kind of experience <laughs> or find it relevant to the modern householder. Um, so that's also what I think is fun about anatomy is if someone is interested in the esoteric, they can go way out there. Mm-hmm. But if they also want a really practical sense of what's that crunching sound when I bend my knee or... You know, what, what am I stretching when I do pigeon pose? That, that it's a real array of very practical to really um, esoteric or interesting. So yeah. that's, that's just like one example. Yeah. It's a good one. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> figure out where to cut my tongue. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like I say, don't. I, dis- disclaimer, I did not tell you to do that. <laughs> exactly. Um, you 
spoke a little bit about your online training earlier. Yeah. And so through this just integration of this idea of like essence and form and all of that, I think you spoke a little bit about how you start, you know, through meditation, you allow people to like find their truth and what mm -hmm. they know to be true. Is that correct? I think I saw that on, on your website. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it I'm just curious about that process. And so what, what it is you try to let arise in people as yeah. their truth and then where to go from that point. Yep. Great. So, um, some of what I do, like I said, that's rare in terms of teaching the subtle body is I connect the sort of gross and subtle, meaning, you know, the actual physical structures of bones and muscles and then the mind and memory. And so for each person, they have different memory. And I'm amazed at how much we can forget we've experienced in our bodies. <laughs> so I remember when I started yoga, I'd totally forgotten. I just kind of knew I had scar tissue, but I had forgotten why my shoulder just seemed to be kind of catching. And then over time, I finally remembered this injury that I'd had. So I think for a lot of people, um, they may not have taken a lot of time to reflect on the experiences of their body. So typically when I'm leading an online course, week by week, we'll go through a different chakra or region of the body. And the students will watch videos, which are teaching the bones and muscles, some of the core content. And then they also sort of go off and research something that's of interest to them. So if someone has chronic migraines, they're suddenly seeing it through a different lens of mm -hmm. thinking about the structures in the brain mm -hmm. or some of the postures or breathing practices yoga might offer or meditation that could help with that. So people are kind of connecting the dots. Often though, because I'm running these as trainings for professionals, we try and kind of follow the riverbanks of how can this be relevant to everyone. So that self-discovery that students go through, I always hear about at the end, but it may not necessarily be shared or even consciously understood by the student. And that's what's kind of interesting is mm. I just find through watching and studying and contemplating, new worlds open up for people that they, they weren't even sort of trying to access uh, so, you know, the online course is sort of the format I'm in now, and I get that feedback from students that they have more of a felt sense of each part of their body after taking the course. It's like they've befriended some part of themselves that they didn't have access to before, mm -hmm. but um, it's been really fun with some of the live intensives, the live intensives that I've run, hearing back from students just about, you know, whole worlds opening up that they hadn't even realized. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but something I'm familiar with or I work with a bit is this concept of cell memory. Mm -hmm. And whether it's, you know, this lifetime memory or whether it's past lifetime memory. Um, and you also talk a little bit about, or a lot, about the energy centers of the body, the chakras having their own mind or each mm -hmm. chakra being another brain of the body. So I'm just curious to hear more about that. Yeah, I think that's a frontier that's really interesting. And I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an expert or up on a lot of this up and coming research around ancestral memory and how mm -hmm. that's transmitted or all of the ways that genes have the potential to be activated by mm -hmm. environment as opposed to just um, preset. And so certainly in the course, I'm so interested in where ancestry may or may not be relevant. You know, some people are adopted. They don't have any sense of their history um, or they may have a feeling, but not necessarily anyone to ask. But ancestry or geography, you know, I grew up in Canada and just mm -hmm. the, the mindset that comes from a cold, threatening climate as opposed to uh, <laughs> equator with mangoes falling <laughs> off the trees, you know, like there's a different mindset or level of being relaxed or a little uptight about <laughs> where where things are coming from that I think can connect to geography. So there's a, there's a lot of layers of that that I think are really interesting. And the very, you know, the thing I love the most about the chakras perhaps is how it places the mind not just in the head but in the whole body. So mm -hmm. for whatever ways, you know, a great example is sexuality. 
whatever ways, even within siblings, there may be an evolution of how people are allowed to express sexually or not, or within generations, that this chakra, this place in the body gives a location for where we're having the potential to create our own experience as opposed to just inheriting certain messages consciously and unconsciously from our family or from the media. Mm -hmm. Once you start to breathe into these areas, be in relationship with these areas, there's a creative capacity that can come up that lets us determine more of our own desire and destiny than it is to just be on the momentum that's perhaps unconscious. And I think that plays out with each chakra. But that one is such a, a physical example. But mm. the heart, you know, how much people are told you should always be unconditionally loving and share and give all the time or how much um, you need boundaries or can you say no or not, like all of these uh, things that are normally associated with just psychology, which is kind of the head, mm -hmm. are lived out in our arms and in our heart and in our mm. pelvis and these really powerful and vulnerable places that can hold memory and trauma. And there's more and more research about trauma being connected in the body and the power of clearing trauma through the body. So um, I'm not leading trauma trainings, but I think knowing the anatomy and contemplating the experience and the accumulation of experience from early childhood development through to where you are now and what you might be projecting into the future with our limiting ideas of aging or you know the whole arc of experience we suddenly get a, a vista you know again mm. like a mountaintop where we can see it and create it rather than just like I say being blind to what's possible for ourselves and for everyone mm. and that's the other thing I will just say is you know what I love about teaching anatomy is it's not personal in a way, like everyone has lungs, you know, their mm -hmm. lungs swimming in the water and flying <laughs> in the air. Like we're just one experiment of <laughs> breath that creation is doing. And um, I find the word yoga means union. And yet sometimes people are mostly focused on their own individual self-improvement or union within themselves, which is really important. That's a necessary first step. But I just find with anatomy, you come into fellowship with all of creation and mm. start to have wonder for all the ways that life is experimenting and expressing. And so um, that's a real joy for me too. I, I feel like it changes people's relationship with life and not just uh, their own self-image or body. So. I just, um, I'm just thinking of almost like travel as you speak, you know, your languaging is, it just resonates with me in so many ways. Um, but I'm thinking of travel too. And the more people that union, you know, you're speaking of the more people can connect with other cultures and see other landscapes. Mm -hmm. I feel as though it wakes up this whole other way of thinking about the world, but also your, your inner landscape. And how, yeah, so I'm just, I'm just envisioning the inside of my body right now. <laughs> yeah, no, it really, no, I feel like that's what happens is that people can start to go on this internal adventure and it lasts a lifetime and it yeah. will evolve and change if someone goes through pregnancy and then, like that's a whole, you know, restructuring of their <laughs> mind and body or aging or an injury or, you know, it, it, it becomes this inner adventure and mm -hmm. each morning you know, I, I sometimes feel like when I'm meditating, it's like a safari, you know, I, I, the sun comes up on my heart and I'm like, oh, it's peaceful. Or like, wow, there's wild animals like tearing apart something that I'm upset about. Like there, yes. it, it, yeah, it can become this adventure of observing. And, yes. and there's a place for all of these parts of me that again, it's not just in my head as a, as words and a narrative, but it's, it's embodied and primal and there's a lot beyond words. So mm. much of our experience can be influenced just in our pre-verbal infancy or in all those silent moments that uh, are integral to our experience, but we don't have language for necessarily. Mm. So yeah, the, the anatomy feels really uh, like a doorway to this inner adventure. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious if you, if you remember, 
a point where you felt that click in your own self of mm. oh my gosh this is my body and yeah. that you know that click that first inspired you to dive into anatomy in this way I, you know I know you were speaking of the landscape but if you, you remember that like aha moment yeah I'd say there definitely was one I am um, you know I was very into yoga and maybe I'd even studied massage by that point yeah I guess I had but um I went and got this um, process called rolfing, which is a 10-session deep tissue realignment. And I'll never forget that, like, around your waist, there's sort of three layers of muscles, the internal and external obliques, and then this transverse abdominus. If, you, if you've ever done Pilates, they're obsessed with yeah. the transverse yeah. abdominus, right? <laughs> very, very intense. Um, so he had released the two outer layers, but didn't do the inner one. And like I was walking around and it felt like this vice around my waist. And it was just so stunning to me that I could feel these layers. And just in his work with me for an hour, like it was a completely different embodied experience. And there was a lot of other layers, but that in particular, I just got really fascinated with what was going on. Um, and it was actually funny because I ended up taking my first anatomy course because I had to to get my massage license and it I ended up taking it at a community college and it was just boring I mean there were some good parts but I don't remember loving it um but then uh I became friends with a woman who was doing the massage school who was at medical school and she actually convinced um the faculty at the University of Connecticut to let me have special permission to go into the cadaver lab. So that also was kind of mind-blowing to just mm. see structures. And that bodies exhibit, um, mm -hmm. that was traveling around. I think that was also pretty formative that when I saw that, it it was just, you know, beautiful and compelling. Mm -hmm. But I, I'd say that one moment of in my own body, the little transformation of that one session and going wow and I can really feel these layers I want to know what they are yeah. so yeah 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 this question just popped in my head but what is one thing like for the average yogi or mm -hmm. <clears throat> average person that doesn't study anatomy that you'd be like this in the body is so important to know or so cool to know that's a great question what do I think is most important to know about or what do I love sharing about I would have to say the heart I the heart is absolutely amazing. And in the Western narrative, it's predominantly like, this is a pump. End of story. And anyone who's ever gone through a heartbreak, you know, there's a bit more happening that yeah. you can feel that you may not necessarily have a context for. So um, I love sharing about the heart being the largest electromagnetic field in the body. Mm -hmm. Literally, you know, that's measurable. It's not imagined. And when I started to understand my heart like a magnet, I could understand why it would sometimes stick perhaps longer than was wise. But if I got <laughs> attached and loved something, it's like a magnet that was hard mm. to sort of detach or other people, mm. I sort of have a repel where the heart of the human is so much more than just this pump, like I say in Western mm. anatomy. So I think particularly because for many people I've noticed who practice yoga, we're having the courage to encounter our feelings and our body and our experience perhaps more deeply to not numb or check out, but be alive and embodied. And with that can come deep attachment and also loss. And particularly with loss, I feel like people just aren't taught how to understand grief or the embodied experience of loss. There may be the, again, the psychology of grief, but not necessarily the embodiment of grief. So the heart, I just think, is an incredible area to teach about. I, I often talk about the heart physically has four chambers, but there's sort of four core emotions that I feel my heart also really registers. There's, you know, if you've seen that movie Inside Out, it's a Pixar kids yeah. movie. Yeah. I always just think of those characters. That's, you know, there's joy or love or trust, like that good, happy feeling. Mm. But there's also sadness, you know, and grief. And our heart really registers grief. And mm. we're a culture that doesn't tend to tolerate grief for a very long amount of time the heart definitely can you know struck fear into the heart that sense of fear and I also think um not 
I mean, it's possible to have like vengeful anger, but hopefully it's a skillful anger of like when the codes of the heart have been violated in some way, when there's the longing for harmony that's not happening, there can be a righteous indignation or a, a call to action to defend, you know, the laws of the heart that can have anger to it that I think is is powerful and honorable in different mm -hmm. ways. So, so sometimes in yoga we can kind of hear we should just be loving and... <laughs> That is valuable and important, but I also really think there is a place for skillful action that can come out of all of those that we may not hear about as the heart. So the heart's, you know, it's right there, we feel it, but again, we may not have befriended it in its full magnitude. Mm -hmm. I want to jump back to the heart in a second, but how do how does somebody get out of their head and the psychology of something and, and really try to feel into sinking into a part of the body or doing that? Is that that's like, a great question? To be guided or is there a way to yeah, kind of get no, into it? That's a really great question. And for some people that can be very challenging and I want to, the, the head is amazing and thoughts are amazing. And if someone tends to be a more cerebral intellectual person, there's a gift uh, <laughs> to how each human sort of processes things in different ways. But I think, um, yoga again can be really powerful because the really obvious sensation of a stretch can really light up a lot of the brain and bring <laughs> you into the body and I've heard back from yoga therapy clients or students that someone can just say you know breathe into your heart or into your hands and someone may not actually be able to feel that or know how mm -hmm. to do that so if that's available if that makes sense the breath is incredibly powerful or awareness, but for a lot of people having that gross feedback of pressing your hands into the floor in a yoga posture or doing mudras, little hand gestures that awaken mm -hmm. the hands, then you can start to also see where your hands might be in a ball or a fist during an interview or a date <laughs> or something where you're like, oh, my hands might actually be expressing something that's not my mind, but it's showing me there's some some emotional energetic posture that may be providing me production or maybe kind of unskillful and unconscious what if i relax this part of my body would it relax a part of my being as well so coming into the body is a courageous act and for a lot of people again there may be trauma or there may be uh, a vulnerability so i just want to really acknowledge the the courage and the joy and the pleasure that can come from it but also sometimes the encounter with pain or numbness or or feeling like we've been disconnected so that's again why i love teaching anatomy is it's a birthright and so many people um may not have actually been in their body and have access to the experience of embodiment because it's been um violated or suppressed or something by by others and and it may not be a place they feel familiar with there's a great quote um, by the author james joyce of i can't remember the guy's name it was like mr simpson lived only a short distance from his body you know <laughs> <laughs> that sense of for a lot of people there they may not have actually come in now millions of people are doing yoga so i also think that's exciting that that's why i focus mostly on teaching yoga teachers mm -hmm. working for professional mm -hmm. training schools i taught for a term in a university that was doing a mind-body medicine PhD program. I feel if I share the way I teach anatomy and understand anatomy with a teacher or a therapist, they can then disseminate that for the rest of their life. Right. So I care about the personal practitioner and their passion, but I'm prioritizing my time and energy mostly to people who are hubs yeah. mm -hmm. for a community and yeah. sharing it more broadly. And I find that really rich because they may have also had more experience, research, reflection, and an opportunity for dialogue. Mm -hmm. That's great. And hopefully they can be that front line of helping people who are brand new to the conversation or the, the yeah, wilds inside, me. that they can be the guide. <laughs> yeah. How, if I'm a yoga practitioner or even a yoga teacher, um, how can I help people, other people get, you know, deeper experience within their body? Or if I'm taking yoga, is there easy way outside of directing awareness or breath that you can kind of dive deeper within your practice to tuning into the body or are those it yeah no I mean I think I actually teach about this it's pretty amazing that um each 
chakra in the, the physical gross anatomy has a different sort of density. You know, if you think of like how dense your legs are, they're just mm -hmm. like bone and muscle. There's very few like tubes, you know, mm -hmm. and then the pelvic floor, you know, for females, there's more space. And then in the abdominal region, there's more tubes and space. And then in the lungs and the heart, there's lots of space. And in the throat, there's lots. Of, so it's interesting, like on a physical level, there's a density mm -hmm. that changes. And the brilliance of yoga is that there are different tools that are made to sort of cultivate different areas. I kind of describe it like a garden, that if you have lots of weeds or kind of knots or it's overgrown, part of the power of practice is directing sunlight towards what you want to strengthen, mm -hmm. not your doubts or your <laughs> inadequacy or your, but contentment and compassion. So directing the sunlight towards what you want to strengthen, but also how to weed the garden. So what's amazing is that yoga offers these different tools. So for each chakra, there's different tools that are made for different densities. So I sort of say, you know, if you want to shovel or you want to, you know, dig in a garden soil, you need a shovel. But if you're trying to catch a butterfly, like a, a shovel is not a helpful tool <laughs> to get a butterfly with. So, so for the butterflies in the mind, we might need that little light butterfly net of a mantra or of chanting and for the density of like our legs or some mm. of the mm. bones and muscles it's helpful to have asana which is like a right. shovel that can really dig away at some of the um deep holding we may have or patterns of stress so that's again a whole advanced training i kind of do is once <laughs> people have learned the chakras how can they also better apply these tools in their own experience and share them with others so that as someone's saying this is the frontier they want to grow in, if they want to be more compassionate, it's like, mm -hmm. great, you can do heart-opening postures, but be start volunteering somewhere mm -hmm. with people who may not have as much as you. You know, a huge heart-opener is karma yoga and that right. dimension. So um, knowing the different tools yoga can offer can open all these different worlds and... Um, the anatomy, like I say, has a, a nature to it that if you learn the tools, you can perhaps better match the opening you're looking for with the tool that you're tending to use. Mm. And mm. the asana can open all of them and open the heart <laughs> and make you a very generous person and, you know, still the mind. Like it's mm. not like enchanting can also, you can chant into each part of the body. So I'm not saying it's exclusive to, but just looking at things in terms of kind of densities or propensities is really mm. something I've spent a lot of time thinking about and enjoy sharing. So, yeah. Mm. Does that answer your question a bit? Yeah, it does. <laughs> I, mean, I think we could dive a lot deeper, but yeah. it sounds I, like there's a, another course for that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, <laughs> yeah. exactly. No. Yeah. I, am, I am curious just yeah. because this is something I've noticed and experienced. Sometimes when, when you dive into the body or when you really can drop into that heart space or wherever it is you're dropping into, it almost catches you by surprise mm -hmm. because then you feel all these things that maybe have been dormant for a while. So I notice a lot of times what can happen with people is there's this reflex to immediately close back mm -hmm. up again because those things came up by surprise. So is that something that you've seen or experienced and how do you work with that? Yeah, no, that's great. I. I'll never forget actually one of my very first, like my sister taught me sun salute and a few other things. So I'd never gone to like a yoga class. And then I'd actually done yoga postures, not knowing they were that like earlier in my life. But when I went to my first yoga class, like I interlaced my fingers behind my back and drew my shoulder blades back. And there was just this, you know, fear, like just came up. And I was like, wow, that's really weird. You know, I just sort of went, you know, it just went by. But, um, I think that can happen for a lot of people, a sudden wave of, of grief or anger or sadness or something that they didn't expect. And if if there's no context, it can either be uncomfortable or just weird or, or sort of forgotten. And um, I think that's the beauty of yoga therapy is more people are training to actually partner with people to go in a process of inquiry. But you don't have to, you know, get a yoga therapist in order to... Yeah. Uh, go deeper with that just having that information and understanding 
where you're standing right now as an adult or young person, whatever, in, you know, 2019 or whatever <laughs> year it is, um, whatever fear may come up, like that could belong to you as a infant or it could even be ancestral. You know, there mm-hmm. could be this whole thing that it may not necessarily have to mean a lot about who you are now and how okay you are or not. It may have real relevance, but it also may be an echo. And as a person practicing, there's the potential for you to kind of reparent or be the healer or be the adult to the unintegrated parts of you. It doesn't necessarily mean you're coming apart. And it's fine if you are coming apart because that also can happen and yoga is powerful to offer a space for change and transformation but uh i just think that's uh, having information that that could happen is is valuable and important and again it's just exciting more people are doing yoga and there's Mm -hmm. more (laughs) information but it's also a little scary because there's a lot more people doing yoga and there's a lot of styles that the the leader hasn't encountered or processed any of that and so Mm -hmm. if their students are having that experience they may have no idea that that's possible and there's some concern about if that happens to people, how that wouldn't serve them necessarily. Yeah. So, One of the things that you, you say, and you've said in the talk, is through yoga or through posture, our heart gets a chance to return home. Hmm. Do you remember saying that? <laughs> yes, yeah, I'll be accused of that. I can live with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've probably talked about it a little bit already, but I was, I was hoping maybe you could talk a little bit to that statement and how that happens. And I've kind of heard you even say like our arms can be an extension of our heart as well yeah Um, so maybe talking to like how what you mean by that sure yeah yeah so it all comes back to embryology for me which is so so sort of yeah um so it's amazing that the heart is actually the first organ that forms and it's you know in the very very early stage you know there's a phase in our body where we're like three little crepes you know just these little three pancakes piled on on top of each other, like just a blip or nothing, right? And then even in that, this flow of the blood starts to form. It's kind of the first momentum. And like I say, the heart's the first organ to form. So there's a way it's our home. It's, It's the beginning that then nourishes and supports the growth of so many other parts of who we are. And also in a lot of indigenous cultures, you know, the heart is seen as the seat of the soul and you know some cultures like they'll place the hand on the center of the chest you know and this is where there's familiarity with one another that's an intimate thing to do but the sense of the heart as the center of the soul and psyche is a real shift again from the western idea of the head and so I just feel that one because of the early origin you know it's our home in the beginning it's also the electromagnetic field the heart synchronizes and coordinates the function of cells in different ways beyond just bringing oxygen or nutrients Mm -hmm. and it's incredible that we have like 60 to 90,000 miles of blood vessels in our body so 60 to 90,000 miles miles yeah so if you think about how long it takes you to drive your car that far that would be one time through yourself you know like a few years of (laughs) driving yeah (laughs) so um Every single cell in the body is about five cells away from a blood supply. So like the hearts are home in a way in that the blood will go out and touch everywhere and then it comes back to the center and it has all this information. You know, each exhale carries with it information from every cell of our body, you know, so there's this huge exchange that that the heart and lungs are doing. So that's the sort of anatomical and just when we think of what's near and dear to our heart, what we have loved the most, our losses, there's a way those experiences perhaps are home to our soul or or really are like the initiations that mature us into being a human. And, you know, if you think about your experiences of initiation with the heart, how memorable those are and like, you know, the gut and the digestive system, sort of memorable, you know, or like the the sexuality and the heart are very connected, but just the heart uh, is the home mm-hmm. potentially, and yet it again takes courage to live there. So that's why it's fun to teach about the heart and have people explore 
living with that as like the center of their solar system, you know, mm. the, the sun that they emanate from. It's a really different place than uh, perhaps they've experienced. Yeah. So, yeah. Would you say kind of living in that heart space is similar to that gut instinct kind of feeling? Where like what the intelligence would be for the, the heart? Hmm. Yeah, that, that's what's really fun is <laughs> I kind of see that each chakra is like its own brain or yeah. tribe or language or sensibility. And so the way the heart thinks, remembers, it's probably going to pick up. <laughs> Do you want to just, I can pause for a second. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I actually, um, from some of what I've studied, there are different brains in the body, like I say. So for the digestive tract, the way we say we sort of have a gut sense of things, there's a whole book called The Second Brain, and it's by this Dr. Gershon, and he mm. talks about the brain having a lot of neural tissue and an intelligence, and a lot of its functioning could continue if most of the connection to the head was cut off. And <laughs> it houses serotonin, which is one of our happy hormones and neurotransmitters. And so um, there's so much about the gut that's really different than the heart. And that's what's incredible is each area of the body in ways has their own brain and intelligence, like the throat. Those moments, public speaking, where your throat just like totally locks up and you could (laughs) convince yourself of anything. And it's like, uh uh-uh, you know, this is life or death. You may not notice it or know it, but I'm I'm closing in. Or the vitamin you swallow Mm -hmm. wrong and suddenly the little smooth muscle in the throat is like, I got this, you know, just pay attention next time. So there's so much um, intelligence. You know, our eyes are wondrous that we can be sleeping and dreaming and processing things. So it's you know, it can create a whole world and experience you've had that you didn't live through, but your body would be twitching with the experience of falling or, you know, flying or whatever. So each brain in the body, each of these chakras really has the capacity to create a whole world mm-hmm. that enriches the others. So, um, so the heart's one place of perception, but each of them are, and that's what's fun, again, in teaching the anatomy through the chakras is it so often is just described as a mechanical process or a physiological process and sort of just nature doing itself and the mind may not necessarily contribute to most of what one would learn in a conventional anatomy course Mm -hmm. but in the lived experience our mental attitudes or our relationship to it has a huge amount to do with the functioning and the um health and well-being or disturbance that that arises so it's each each place has a consciousness it carries and it contributes and we also influence so how to have a collaborative relationship with our body and a creative one like I say is the shift that I see a lot of people arrive at Mm. and the big picture because often people will like research a part of the body if they have a problem (laughs) so they know the digestive system because something went wrong or you know, sometimes sexuality, people will research that for pleasure, but it's, you know, often people are driven by a sense of something's wrong. So Mm -hmm. it's powerful to, I'll sometimes say this in a yoga class, you know, like there's about 2 million functions happening, like in this moment, you know, the eyes are adjusting light and temperature and memory and your digestive system's doing its thing with whatever you ate. Like there's tons of things happening that they don't need us to weigh in at all like we're just a little (laughs) you know sort of mosquito riding on this elephant you know of of our organic intelligence doing its thing and then our mind is just this little like (laughs) you know like am I too fat or like did I should I have done and the body's just like whatever just keep keep moving forward so it's just it's beautiful that when people realize that they can trust the body and and be in awe of it and not see it as this problem that needs fixing but this powerful ally that's got our back and has been usually acting on our behalf, you know, sometimes against our best instinct. <laughs> We're making choices and the body forgives and moves forward and heals. And, you know, mm-hmm. so it's far more of an ally than it could ever be a saboteur or a disappointment. And people face significant health challenges and diseases and things, but 
still so much of the body is working and mobilized to enrich us and and it's rare for people to seek out the body for its strength it's more often like i say for the fixing or improving or disease or something so yeah yeah, yeah. if you ever get a chance to take a class with grace it's like the one thing you are in such awe of the body mm-hmm. and it's so cool to see so it's inspiring to be in awe of your own body um should we do the final three seeds yes do it so we always have final three questions that we ask everybody cool the first is what is your favorite book to gift friends oh <laughs> <laughs> it's usually a book of poetry of some kind i wouldn't say there's a single one but i just love poetry because it's the language of the heart um i really love the poems of pablo neruda okay there's an amazing um eco-anthology of poems that's profound of like historical poems from ancient china to you know germany during the war to contemporary so that's that's another favorite so it depends if i want to bum the person out or not (laughs) 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 yeah i'd say poems and the other is you know my one of my all-time favorite like desert island books is uh called the secret teachings of plants by Stephen okay. Brunner, and the first 150 pages of the book is, um, should I pause for this? Okay. Uh, first 150 pages is all about the heart. It's a bit more science nerdy, so it's not like the best gift for anybody. But yeah, poetry, I'd say. Awesome. Yeah. Question number two. Um, what one sentence advice would you give your 15-year-old self? Oh, that's interesting. I think it gets better every year like it's amazing to live a year of life and how much can happen in a year and how many experiences that are available so I just think every year gets better is sort of an exciting mm. sense that I have of life yeah. and and it, I mean to add to that I may not say it as a 15 year old <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there are some incredibly hard years, but somehow discovering my strength or getting support from people or maturing more in the disappointments of life, like even that is a great year in terms of just uh, becoming more awake to reality. So I think it gets better every year is a fun one. Mm. <laughs> what is one seed of awakening or one aha moment you've received in your life or had in your life? Mm. It's weird because I know probably the biggest ones I'm not going to think of this <laughs> <moment>. <laughs> I just let me think about that. Um, Put people on the spot with that one. Yeah. 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 Um, I could reframe it to say um, what's one of the wisest things anybody's ever told you? Oh. No, I could go back to the other one. Okay. I mean, the. Well, <laughs> We don't like your... <laughs> no, 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 no. I just had to... Like, it's so random to pick different things. Um, I, I, I once... I went to India. My dad was turning 70, and every year he would go to India for the winter. That was sort of like his Florida. And so we hadn't celebrated his birthday in years. So it's like, okay, Dad, you're turning 70. We're going to find you in India and celebrate you, mm-hmm. whether you like it or not. And so... But I got sick there, and... Um, I drank water that was supposed to be from like the purified water, mm-hmm. but it was just hand washing water like from the river. So I chugged this whole thing and was just like incredibly sick. And we had to take a train into the nearest village to get to the pharmacy for, you know, some pharmaceuticals for this. So the whole train ride, you know, I'm trying to do the positive, like I am happy and whole. And, <laughs> you know, by the end, I was just slumped against the wall because there was no window. So like the, the fume of the, train engines like flying in and I was just slumped against the wall of the train being like you win India (laughs) I was just I was just like whatever spiritual growth like you win I'm just tapping out white flag like please and we got there at night and so the pharmacy wasn't open and my dad and my sister went out to get food and I was too sick I just was lying there and when my sister came back in I was actually like kind of looking down from the ceiling going like 
oh, I, I don't think I'm, like, I hope I'm not dying or dead. <laughs> like, there was this long internal conversation of, like, my sister's going to be so mad if I'm dead right now. And, like, <laughs> oh, no. this whole conversation. And then finally, I just remember sort of, it felt like re-entering my body, and my body was just, like, so heavy. And finally, I got the words out of just, like, I feel weird. It's <laughs> like all I could say. But I think just sort of that experience of like, okay, is the rest sort of borrowed time or yeah. just, um, I don't know, that was just kind of profound. Maybe some of my interest in the subtle body was that one experience where I was just like, I think, and maybe I hallucinated the whole thing. You know, all I know is I was really sick and thank God in the morning we got the pharmaceuticals and it turned around. But that that definitely was kind of a moment of subtle body, gross body and... <laughs> Uh, the threshold between the worlds and so that may be a fun one yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds, sounds like it is a fun one <laughs> yeah. and that's the moment you can tell your 15 year old self about yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> don't trust anyone with the water yeah. Yeah. Um, we will put up links and all the fun stuff but I know you're organizing where to find you and yeah. um, what's upcoming so maybe you can yeah, yeah, get the audio sure. version of that yeah, yeah. So um, my website is called gracesanatomy.com instead of Grey's Anatomy, the TV show, but also Grey's Anatomy, the anatomy book that medical school students mm -hmm. use. So gracesanatomy.com is kind of the website. And on Facebook, probably where it's more active is uh, my business or personality page, which is gracesanatomy.com as the Facebook mm -hmm. page. So there I post pretty much all the links to videos not the ones i've made but ones that i see go by or research that i find interesting so yeah whether or not we actually connect that's a place to yeah. nerd out and sure. um i am reaching out to different schools and love working whether it's for university or for yoga therapy or massage school uh both live and online mm -hmm. so yeah and that yeah. facebook page is a cool place to start because you if you're interested in anything we've talked about it's you post a lot of the psychology and science behind it and cool videos and it's fun to dive into. Yeah. Great. Well, this has been fun. Best of luck with all that you're creating and thanks for creating interesting <laughs> thanks conversation for, and content. The world, the world needs it. So. So, uh,